Yo, what's up? It's your girl, DJ Narc. What's going on? I am in a hotel room in Denmark. Favorite? No, I'm kidding. Not favorite. The window is open slightly. It's slightly ajar. And you may be able to hear the rain and the traffic. Interestingly, The Dead Man soundtrack has a mix of traffic and rain in it. And part of the reason it was chosen is because they sound so much the same. So, if you're wondering what is going on with me, instead of just... uh, Aside from giving you Neil Young trivia that you did not ask for. Uh, well, we've been doing these Zaw walks. And we've been doing them pretty consistently. And it's part of the reason that I haven't potted. Because I feel like we're potting all the time. But then I realized that there is a sort of summary that we get from the pod where we can take all the different things we've talked about at the ZA and incorporate them in a way where you have everything in one place instead of having to go through all the walks. And it also made me think there's a lot of things that... Drink something. It's a lot of things that I want to talk about that I don't in that space because I don't want to ruin the mood because we're motivated and we're walking and you know some things are too heavy for that space. So what is some of that stuff? Well, let's start with the personal stuff, just what's going on in our lives, especially as Mercury has moved into Gemini and now we wait for Venus to join. You may find that there are people that are asking so much of you and these people all have one thing in common. They have this collective amnesia where they don't remember what they've done to you. And in a way, that's very flattering because it's saying a lot about your resiliency. But on the other hand, it's mortifying because these are all people that know that they've wronged you. They know what they've done. And with a little distance between the thing and now, it seems like they've, completely reinvented the narrative and in this narrative you're the one being difficult and they just want everybody to get along there's something particularly maddening about that to me because it's those people who always paint themselves out to be the good guy and they're always the ones who have started the initial issue it got too big for them got out of control they got checked And then they wait, right? Like really sneaky predators. They wait until enough time has passed that they can play the victim again. But this time the way they play the victim isn't, oh, boo-hoo, look what happened to me. Then when they play the victim a few years out, it's, oh, boo-hoo, can't we all just get along? Can't you just forget about what you know about me now? This is really difficult for me because 
I don't begrudge anyone who they are. Be whoever you want to be. But I find it appalling that people get so offended when you take them at what you show, what they're shown. If you show me that you are not worthy of my respect or my trust, how is it my fault if I then treat you as someone who is not worthy of my respect? And I'm not even saying I'm going to go out of my way to curse you out. In my case specifically, I just don't want to talk to you. I want nothing to do with you. And that's it. But that's the part that really boggles my mind is that that sort of agency is not allowed. If you are a few years out from a traumatic event, you are expected to put that aside, to forget about it, to be the bigger person, and act as if it's never happened. And go back to treating that person the way you would have treated them if said event hadn't happened. Now, for some of you, you're like, said event, girl, this should be happening every fucking day. And they still expect me later in the day to smile as if nothing happened. Okay, well, that's fucking hella toxic. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about abusive relationships. Because there's so fucking many, there's so many different kinds. You can have an abusive relationship with your parents, even if you're a fucking grown ass adult, right? Maybe they used to beat you when you were a kid, but now they're doing it in other ways. You can have an abusive relationship with a spouse. Doesn't mean they're hitting you. Doesn't mean they're being mean to you. Maybe they're just taking all your fucking money. You can have an abusive relationship with your children where either you're treating them like shit and not acknowledging their feelings or they're treating you like shit. You can obviously have an abusive relationship with a significant other, right? But you also have these abusive relationships between you and the people from the past that you don't fuck with anymore, especially the ones who know that they're not much without you. These are all different types of dynamics where you are expected to show up at 100%, but every time you do, a little bit more is taken from you and you are expected to make up the difference. Right now, you know, in my own life, there have been some really traumatic, surprising things that have happened that I've just kind of taken on the chin and been like, all right, we got to keep this ball rolling. There's work to be done. There's videos to be made. There's horoscopes to be written. There's, you know, Rev fam to hang out with. There's a best friend and I who are running a business together. Like there's parents to look after. You know what I'm saying? There's children like I don't have time. As much as I, you know, disdain the idea of sounding like my mom, I don't have time for these emotions. I don't have time to fall apart. I don't have time to feel my feelings. Because some of the things that have happened have been so traumatic that honest to God, if I stopped and actually felt my feelings, we would be here for a while. (laughs) We will be here for a fucking minute. Now, some of you are thinking, hey, you're back. How come you're potting? Hey, you sound like you used to. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. I was, ugh. I was in the airport, right? (laughs) Those of you who know me know when I laugh like that. It's because I'm about to cry. I was in the airport. And I figured out this new stuff. This this pot is going to be all over the place. It's kind of like the ones that I used to do when I first started. So boom. So just if if you're not used to this aspect of me, you know, I got to throw this in here at least once because this is the kind of mood I'm in. If you're like, whoa, this bitch is all over the place. Yeah, go fuck yourself. Um, 
so I started doing this new thing because I got this new makeup from Surat. And I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but I got this new makeup and it's like very, very minimal, right? Because I've been watching all this Korean shit (laughs) and I just love the way the bitches be doing their thing, right? So I started doing my makeup different, very different. It's super subtle, but actually it's a lot more flattering. So since I'm on like a kick of doing my makeup in a different way, I did my makeup before I went to the airport, which I never do. But the cool thing about the way I'm doing it now is just it's literally um, an eye gloss. So it's like a nude color, but it's a wet look, right? So it's like a nude eye gloss, an eyeliner that's completely buffed out. So the only real semblance of a wing you have is like a little bit of brown shadow kind of, you know, swooping upward at the ends minimal mascara very little mascara um and lightly concealed and lightly set with this pat mcgrath powder that i got in yellow this under eye setting powder that's phenomenal anyway i say all that to say that even though i never wear makeup to the airport ever because what's the point you're going to be on a flight for so long your poor skin can't breathe but the way i do my makeup now there's really no stuff on my skin There's very little concealer right under my eyes and on the bridge of my nose. There's a little bit of blush on my cheeks and that's it. So there's no foundation, nothing like cakey. So I did that. And to be perfectly honest, I haven't been feeling my best. (laughs) I've been stressed. I've been stressed (laughs) about a lot of things, about a lot of things. I think it has to do with, I get, I get caught up with taking account. When I look back on a year or two years or three years, it just puts me down, man. When I think about all the difference, when I see a pattern, And the pattern that I've noticed lately is Umber is so strong we can ask anything of her. And I don't mean from you guys at all. You guys never even ask for anything, really. You're just like, yo, can I get my video before the month is over? (laughs) Sorry. You guys don't ask for anything. It's more my family. It's the people I know. It's... It's, uh, as I have someone texting me for something, it's, it's more, listen, this is what I need from you. So give it to me and I'm sure you're doing fine. And even though I have intimate knowledge of what has happened in the past, I really just blow over all those different things and all those details, even though even just one of those experiences might've wrecked me. I know you're fine. So I'm not even going to ask you about it and you wouldn't tell me about it anyway, but I'm not even going to try to commiserate with you or hold space for you. I just need what I need from you and I need you to do it now because of course you're fine. And that really plays into my upbringing, which is everything is always fine. Because it has to be. If you were raised by immigrant parents, everything has to be fine because bitch, they got to go to work. Right? Like, 
oftentimes when you hear me talk about feelings and I can have such disdain for people who are overly involved in their feelings, that's what it is. It's an immigrant upbringing, which, you know, outside of me, my brother, my older brother, Carolina, and a few other people like that I grew up with, I don't really know a lot of people who know what I'm talking about. I know you guys know what I'm talking about because a lot of the Ref Fam has immigrant parents. But like in my immediate surroundings, like outside of my nuclear family, I don't really know many people like that because a lot of the people that I know are younger, right? So by the time the parents who are my parents' age had these younger kids, they had money, they had been settled in the States for a while. So those kids have no fucking clue what it means to be raised by immigrants who don't have right more than a few dollars in the bank they understand immigrant parents who've got lots of money in the bank and own property and do this and do that so their upbringing has been completely different maybe their feelings weren't taken into account either maybe but at the very least what they didn't have is this overarching lack of sensitivity about anything that you're going through Because anything that you're going through does not matter when you hold it up against money. We need money to survive. We need money to pay the rent. We need money because you're in private school. We need money. So that money is going to come before everything. And if you don't like it or if you're hurt by that or if instances happen in your life, right, where, where you need something more than what money can buy you, or you need something more than what your parent can give you as they're running, you know, to catch their next shift, then fuck you. Because it just doesn't exist for you. It doesn't exist. You're not going to get it, right? You're not, you're, you're, you're too indoctrinated to talk about it with anyone outside of your family. So all your needs, all your wants, the emotions attached to them, they're just thrown away because they're seen as garbage, They're just getting in the way. So a lot of the times (laughs) I can sense how that upbringing still plays out in my life today. There are situations that I'm dealing with right now where I'm being asked to do things that are so incredibly unfair that I doubt that anyone else would be asked to do. But I'm being asked to do them because it's taken for granted that I will be magnanimous, I will be woke, I will, you know, forget, I will forgive. I will. And it's so frustrating because it's moments like this where you realize that the people that are closest to you don't actually think you're human. And whether you're dehumanizing somebody or turning them into a superhuman, okay? Ask black women about this because they know exactly what I mean. Whether you're turning people into less than people or you're giving them these magical attributes, right? Of having enormous strength or enormous courage and patience more than other people. Either way that you take someone on this sliding scale, you're robbing them of their humanity. They're not a piece of shit. We know that that's simple. If you call someone a piece of shit or if you look down on someone, you dehumanize someone, you're stealing their humanity, right? You're, you're being the most offensive that you can be. But I don't think that a lot of people realize that the other way is the same thing. 
turning someone into a superhuman, this is why black women die in emergency rooms, right? Turning people into superhumans is just another reason to be afraid of them. It's another reason to allow them to endure pain that you yourself know that you could never endure. Now, then you take it one step further and you say, well, I know I could never endure this pain, but you can. So here's a little more on top of that. Not only do you have to endure this pain, but now I want you to swallow your pride, swallow your anger, swallow all of it and act like everything is fine. I know you can do it. So, it makes me shudder to think of what it must have been like, because I don't remember, to be a child and feel this way and not have any sort of healthy outlet to express it. It makes me shudder to think of a small child being treated this way. But again, you come back to the immigrant parents. Listen, what you're going to get from an immigrant parent is when we were your age, we were dealing with wars. We were dealing with famine. We were dealing, you know, we were walking across borders barefoot. What the fuck are you complaining about? Right? We didn't have time for feelings. You don't have time for feelings. Cut it out with this bullshit. We expect you to be superhuman because we're pretending to be superhuman. Just fucking play along. Because God forbid that you start showing some cracks somewhere and you start saying out loud that you can't handle this level of pressure. And maybe we start to look at ourselves and say, hey, maybe we can't handle this level of pressure. And if we all sit down and decide that this is too much for us, then what? Annihilation. Poverty. Death. Or worse, go back home. Right? But then I remember that I got over it as a kid and I'll get over it now. So it's not a big deal. But one of the worst parts about being Gemini is that you feel things and you don't know why you feel them. And if you have people who love you, they can tell way before you can that something is really fucking bothering you. You don't even know it. You just know that something, you know, is putting an edge on your words. You just know that your reactions are a bit fast. But it's very hard to tell (laughs) until a few weeks go by. Like, what's actually bothering you? What's going on? So for the past two weeks, there has been stuff that's been really bothering me. But it's like this low, slow burn, Right? Again, because you're not allowed to acknowledge having feelings. You're not allowed to be fucking bothered. I don't know how many of you know this aspect of my life or how many of you can relate. I'm going to assume a lot. So, the past few weeks, I have just felt. betrayed (laughs) betrayed betrayed by people that I love dearly betrayed by people who I know just think very highly of me and they're not trying to do anything wrong they just want me to be better (laughs) 
And I get that. Who doesn't want to be better? But this being better, it's at my expense. I'm the one who has to forgive things that are unforgivable. I'm the one who has to move on from things that one should never move on from because it's dangerous for you. So the things that I'm being asked to do, this is all family stuff. It goes against your basic programming as a human that wants to stay alive. Do you understand? And yet, like everything else, aside from, you know, no, I'm not going to marry this person because you tell me to. That's the only time I've ever really found myself saying, no, fuck you. Like everything else, you just acquiesce and you go along because... You love your parents and you want to be there and you want to do, you know, you want to be the person, the reflection of you that you see in their eyes. So it's very easy for your parents to put a lot of pressure on you because you want to live up to that person that they expect you to be. So it's been a slow burn, right? Because I'm never going to be the person who's going to be like, oh, this is my mom's fault, this is my dad's fault. Like, I'm an adult. If I don't want to do something, I should just be able to go to them and be like, yo, I'm not going to do this, right? So I'm not blaming them. But I felt like I had been put in a position that was completely untenable. And it wore on me a lot. But slowly, right? Slowly. And then today I realized something. Well, well, let me go back to why I started potting and then we'll move on from there. So I haven't been feeling all that great. And then when I don't feel all that great, I have a tendency, Vedic Taurus, to not move too much. Right? When something is wrong, when I'm tripping out, when I'm somehow, you know, subs- substance, some substance is working on me or stress is working on me. Either way, I have a tendency to get sedentary and just not move. Now, because I've been moving around so much and because we're on this forage walk thing, as soon as I stopped moving around, my body was like, distress. Something is wrong. We're not foraging. We're not finding food. Something is wrong. Either we've gotten injured. The food has run out. Something is wrong. Hold on to every calorie, which is fine. Not a problem. Work out for a couple of weeks. Back to it. Boom, boom, boom. Like weight to me is not a marker of beauty like that so like it doesn't it's it's it is what it is it's there and then it's gone and then it's there and then it's gone it's what the fuck ever right but the mix of not feeling well and then feeling all this really unfair pressure it took a toll on me and it made me in a very interesting way recede from everything because when something is too close when something hurts too much, I can't talk about it, right? It's easier to get on a treadmill and talk to you guys about the things that you need help with, about the things that you need to figure out, that the, the go walk to places you need to walk to, than it is to even approach what's going on with me. So in a way, the Zaw walks have been, well, in many ways, they have been transformative, But potting is different, right? Potting is like you have to put you out there. 
There is nothing to take away from the words that you're saying. Drink something, please. And I just didn't feel like being that vulnerable. I couldn't. I couldn't even figure out what the fuck was wrong, to be honest. I'm just figuring it out now. So I'm in the airport. I do my makeup. I don't even know why I'm doing it. You know, you get new makeup and you're just like, oh my God, I love this fine new makeup. Now I'm going to do makeup all the time. So, boom. I'm wearing what I'm wearing because it's the only thing that I feel that I can wear right now that doesn't make me feel like I've dropped the ball. And even though I felt a sense of, you know, great accomplishment having been in New York and having taken care of lots of different things that needed to be done and, you know, the, the rings, the blue, the world ring coming to fruition, the nuzzer earring, like there's a lot of things that we've done, the 420 event. I was still left with this really sad feeling. Just this overwhelmingly sad energy of like, what about me, dog? What about me? (laughs) So... So I stopped at that thing in Newark Airport, you know, the Best Buy thing where you can like buy headphones. By the way, don't buy headphones from them because they're not charged. Um, and I was standing there at the machine and I was thinking to myself, I don't know why I'm doing this. (laughs) I don't know why I'm standing in front of this machine. I have headphones on. I don't know why I'm standing in front of this machine. I don't know why I'm buying this product. I, I, I don't know why I'm doing this. And I was actually kind of laughing to myself, standing there going, what am I doing? <laughs> I have a plane to catch. I have a plane to board. Quickly. Why am I here? And uh, somebody walked by and I happened to just turn and uh, we, you know, we saw each other. I caught her eye and she said, oh, I just wanted to say I love your jacket. I said, oh, thank you. (laughs) And she looked at me. And she started crying. (laughs) So, of course, I started crying, right? (laughs) My mirror neurons be on point, fam. And while she was crying, she was laughing. Which, I mean, when people see Rev Fam, they must wonder what the fuck is wrong with us. But she was just being really, you know honest and loving (sighs) 
And uh, she said, you have no idea. You have no idea how much you've helped me. And look at you. You look so beautiful. You're such a fucking icon. And I laughed at all that because it's all really nice, you know? It's, I mean, who doesn't want that, right? It was really sweet to have a genuine person who was just minding their business, living their life, bump into you and be like, holy shit, I fucking love what you do for a living. You changed my fucking life. So we're hugging and she's talking to me and then all of a sudden she's she's crying and she says to me, and then, you know, when you were talking about Kendall and Kylie, I was like, yes, bitch. <laughs> and right when she said that, it like, it hit me. It hit me like somebody punched me in the face. Like, yo. Even when you're not up to it. Even when you feel in your own life that people are treating you bad. That's not a reason to let down the people around you who need you. Just because you're not brave enough at the moment to confront whatever it is that's going on with you. Because if I don't confront it and I just start talking about whatever some other bullshit, we're going to end up right back here anyway. Because I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to ignore the fucking elephant in the room. I'm the person that walks in the room and goes, yo, there's a fucking elephant in here. I don't even want to talk about anything else. I don't want to talk about anything else. I only want to talk about the fucking elephant in the room. That's my personality. So if there's an elephant in the fucking room, right, bright pink, and I just ignore it and talk about some other shit, it's going to be garbage. But it was when she said that that I realized, like, even the stupid shit that I say that I feel sometimes like, what the fuck am I talking about? Those things, they have an impact. And I know you know this because you're, you're the people it has an impact on. But I think getting away from potting was one of the things that I did that made me feel even more isolated and even more alone. Right? Even more like nobody was really understanding me. I had forgotten that this was my out. This is, was, is my outlet where I can completely be myself. That's what the DJ Narc thing is about. If you're new to the ramblings and you've never really quite figured out what the fuck is DJ Narc, DJ Narc is just the person that I was never allowed to be. Not allowed to be at home, not allowed to be in Catholic school, not allowed to be in an all-girls school, not allowed to be in an all-girls college, not allowed to be as a Pakistani, not allowed to be as a woman, not allowed to be as, as a mother, not allowed to be as a woman of a certain age, not allowed as a divorcee not allowed I mean I could just keep going there are so many different things that I'm not supposed to do and not supposed to say and it's all of those things that I have kept to myself locked up including my needs that flow out of me in this particular medium So it makes sense to me now why there was such a buildup for me. Because hopefully, the hope is that through the catharsis that I feel, you find some as well. And when she said that, because it was all so moving, 
it was so moving and it was like god was like yo you really not doing all right here here is a random stranger that loves you here so it was very moving it was deep you know but then she said that shit where she was like bitch you were going in on kendall and kylie and i was like yes bitch (laughs) and it just like it you know it was the pin in the balloon the pressure, the stress, the pain was released because I remembered something. I remembered that even though years and years and years of programming, still, still being installed, mind you, had me thinking that I was only allowed to be one way. And that I don't actually matter. It's just what other people, who I am in relation to other people that matters. It was a wake up call from that. Where I suddenly like snapped back into it and was like, wait a minute. What the fuck am I doing? How am I allowing this to take over my reality? How am I not fighting this? How am I not expressing myself? How am I not saying, yo, shit is fucked up? Right? Because as you've noticed over the past like year or so, when it's political, it's easy for me. When it's something social, it's easy for me. When it's about racism, it's fucking hard as shit. It makes you feel like you're dying. But at least I can find the words. But when it comes to me and the shit that's going on with me, Dog, the closest I can get to telling you what the fuck has been going on is like, it doesn't fucking matter what happened. Umber is fine. She's going to be the bigger person. It doesn't fucking matter what happened. If it had happened to anyone else, it would have fucking demolished them. But look at Umber. She's okay. So put more on her plate. Put more on her shoulders. Ask more of her. She'll deliver. And it made me realize as I was talking to my mom a couple of days ago that that's, that was her role. And her shoulders have actually rounded under the pressure of that, right? And I can see myself going the same way if I don't get a handle on it now. Her actual physical shoulders have rounded from having so much fucking energetic weight on them, from having to carry everybody's bullshit having to provide for everybody and still be the bigger person and eat shit whenever something happens right because it's not even umber are you okay yeah i'm fine thank you alhamdulillah i'm good it's those moments when you're by yourself and you're thinking over everything that's happened and you think to yourself wow I've really been through some shit. How come these people won't acknowledge that I've been through some shit? How come we all get to pretend now like nothing happened to me? Hmm. And I'm sure there's a lot of you out there who are like, yes, bitch, that's exactly how it is. And what are you going to do? Well, There's not much you can do. There's not much you can do. Except you can remember the story that I told you. Because somewhere in your life, if you are the type of person that I've just described, 
even though an inordinate amount of weight is put on your shoulders, even though it is completely unfair, even though other people's fuck-ups and massive, massive, heinous atrocities get completely overlooked and you're the one who has to be the bigger person, even though all of that is the case, I guarantee you that you are the light in the life of the people around you. You are the person that they can throw all their stuff on. You are the person who will figure it out and get it done. You are the person who will make them smile when their life is falling apart. You are the person who will plan the thing so they know that they're loved and nobody forgot about them. You are the bigger person. But damn, that shit gets real heavy sometimes. Now, of course, I'm the last person to be like, no, I'm the victim here. Nah, fuck that. I'm not a victim in any situation. Fuck that. Even with this shit, if I wanted to, I'd be like, yo, no, I'm not going to do this. Sorry, mom. You know what I mean? Sorry, mom, I'm not going to do this. Sorry. I could, right? So there's no victimhood here. I could just be like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. But this is what I want to talk to you about. It's like we play into the stereotypes or the or the the roles that people build for us we play into them because we also need that affirmation we want people to pat us on the head and say you are as strong as i thought you were you are as good as i thought you were my only issue is that whenever someone does that to me all i hear them saying is you are as dumb as i thought you were you just let anybody treat you however And then later, if we say, just forget about it, you're just going to forget about it. That's all I hear. All I hear is, you dumb fuck. Just do what we're telling you to do because you're fucking stupid. And it's really embarrassing. You know, it's really embarrassing. And, And it never stops with that one request. That is just the beginning. The people who have wronged you in your life, once they have their foot in the fucking door, don't think for a second that that's all they're going to take. They're going to push that door open wider and wider and wider and wider until your life reflects what they want it to be. So it's very dangerous. It's very dangerous. Especially when you're allowing people who you know are dangerous back into your life because someone else has asked you to do so. This is incredible. This is one of those situations where you go, wow, you want me to go lock myself in a fucking broom with a fucking axe murderer who you've provided with a fucking axe. And the way that you're, you know, tempting me coaxing me in there is to be like i know you're the bigger person i know you can forgive them bro they still have an axe but you know you know what i mean no i don't know what you mean they have been known to kill people with an axe they have an axe you want me to go sit in a room with them yes okay this person has tried to kill me with this axe before that's okay you'll be fine that's okay you'll be fine Probably some of the most hurtful words in the world. 
because it discounts everything that's gone before, right? And I know I'm completely showing my Vedic fixed nature. I know how hard it is for me to let go of things. It's not even about forgiveness. It's just about safety. And this feeling that I have where I feel like I have to compromise my safety and my sense of self to make others happy, it just hits too close to being a kid and not having a choice. That's just par for the course. And I think about this in relation to so many different people that I know that have been so fucking ugly. Like, things where I'm like, what? How? 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 With what face are you still walking around after what the fuck you did? Right? From small lies to big lies to very serious situations, there is this complete lack of self-respect where these people are just walking around bold-faced out here like they've never fucked anybody over they've never lied on anyone they've never hurt anyone they've never gone out of their way to hurt someone do you know that someone that i used to know bought my fucking website name for the quietest revolution behind my back and would not sell it to me? Do you know that I let a girl into my friend circle who then decided that the best course of action would be to try to seduce my brother and then cry about it like a little bitch when it didn't work out for her? Do you know... (laughs) that I have people still trying to get back into my life that I trusted implicitly and the first chance they got to be around somebody else that I know, they gossiped about me? Do you know that someone I had a lot of respect for, or at least I thought I did, recently told me that when his friends all met me five or six years ago, they didn't believe that I was a tarot reader and they didn't believe that I was on YouTube and they thought that this was all a front for sex work. Which, listen, in and of itself is fine. I don't give a fuck. Do whatever you got to do. But I'm just showing you the range of things that people think it's okay to do to me and say to me. <laughs> it's unfucking believable the things that people will do and say to me. And I, and I genuinely think it's from this fucked up immigrant childhood where you just acquiesce to so much because you have no fucking choice that you get used to that being your fucking reality. Drink something. So no matter how bold-faced these fucked up people are being, 
you're just kind of rolling with it. Now me, the way I roll with it, I just don't talk to you anymore. That's the only recourse that I found that doesn't rock the boat. What I want to do is call you out. What I want to do is fucking embarrass you. What I want to do is fucking tell you off. But that doesn't fit my programming. So the only recourse I found that gives me a little bit of control in my life, in my family life, is to say, I'm not talking to this person anymore. My communication with this person doesn't exist and it never will exist again. Because that's the only safety I feel that I have when someone traverses my boundaries. Right? Now, you may be listening to this and think, no, you're really good at defending yourself. You're, you don't take any shit. You don't. Yeah, what are you talking about, guys? I mean, I don't take shit off guys whether I'm dating them or not. Like, fuck, fuck you. Shut the fuck up. Sit down. Like, that has nothing to do with anything. You know what I'm saying? But when it comes to relationships with people, friendships with women, with men, dating somebody, th- family members, this is when the taking starts, right? Like two days ago, and I'm not saying this for you to feel sorry for me. I'm just telling you, I noticed this two days ago, my phone was going off like crazy. And I was already feeling this way. And I looked at my phone and there were like six messages, all from friends and all of them had to do with something they needed from me and it was just a constant barrage one after the other after the other hey I need this hey I need this hey what about this hey what about this hey I need to talk to you hey I need to now, on the one hand, someone like my mom, who, who's got this immigrant mentality down pat, she, she was raised this way, who gives a fuck about your feelings, just do everything for everybody else. Someone like my mom would say, oh, you're so lucky, you're so loved. Absolutely. Absolutely. I am so lucky that I'm loved. Mashallah, I love, I love being loved. But I'll tell you what, when I was looking at the phone, it didn't feel like love. <laughs> It felt abusive. It felt like taking advantage of somebody that you know has a problem. Somebody that you know is going to jump to it and make it happen because that's all they know. And then I started looking at each message and I started scrolling back trying to see when the last time was that any of those people had asked me how I was. Now, I don't blame anybody for not asking. I, I'm, all you're ever going to get is, I'm good, alhamdulillah, thank you. But I just found it so bizarre that not one of them, in the midst of text after text, I need you, I need you, I need you, had stopped for one second to say, yo, how are you doing? Where are you at? What you doing? How's it going with you? Now, do I need that? No, 
I got Carolina, I'm good. I got Carolina, I got my brother's wife, I got my brother, like, I'm good. I got my dad, I'm good. But it just made me so sad. (laughs) I think a lot of times we take on everything we can. Because God forbid we don't make ourselves useful. And then life makes us take these forced breaks. You know, either our health will fail us or our mind will fail us and we end up laying in bed for a week. Because being useful is such a complicated system of control. If you can convince somebody that being of use is the most important thing, well, you can get that person to forget all about their own needs, but your needs don't disappear. They just come calling in another way. And then you've got your conscious mind beating the shit out of you because you're never doing enough. You're never solving enough. You're never being a big enough, bigger person. But now you have your shadow side beating the shit out of you too. Because it's like, bitch, I'm tired. You're not going to confront any of this. You're not going to deal with any of this. I'm just going to sleep for a week. Try me. I will eat everything in the house. Try me. This... This plague of usefulness. It's so... (laughs) It's so smart. Because it's such a noble thing and who doesn't want to be useful? And also by definition, are you useless then if you don't want to be useful? And when did useful and bending over backwards become the same thing? I mean, I've gotten to the point recently where I feel like I've bent over backwards so far that my, my spine is cracking. And still, it's not enough because it's just the first step. The first step is compromise your morals, compromise your values. Let me back into your life even though you know that I am a danger. Step two is, now you've gone ahead and been so fucking stupid that you've let a snake back into your house knowing it's a snake. Now the next step is, I'm going to bite you and then I'm going to shrug my non-existent shoulders and say, but I'm a snake, I bite. Didn't you know that? You would think you would have known that from the time before. Now all those people who wanted you To be the bigger person. You know where they're going to be when you get stung again? Nowhere. You know how they're going to react when you get hurt again? They're going to react in the same way that they've reacted before. Get over it. You're the bigger person. You're smarter. You're stronger. You're more successful. You're all these things. Just forget about it. 
So it's a guarantee that your present pain is not acknowledged, but also that your future pain won't be either. What a sweet deal this is. You do what I tell you to do. Okay, but the consequences of this are all on you. I'm not going to be there. I'm not going to commiserate. I'm not going to understand. I'm not going to empathize. I'm not going to sympathize. I'm just going to tell you to keep it moving because that's what families do. And I know so many people living under some system of control in this way. Doesn't have to always be do what I tell you to do by, you know, stop being mad at this person, start talking to this person, forgive this person. It can be that. It can also be you can't marry anyone aside from this kind of person. You can't do this. You can't marry this person. You can't marry that person. It can be you can't be friends with this kind of person. You can't look this way. You can't like to fuck this people instead of these people. Like it just keeps going on and on. So I know there's so many of you who can relate to what I'm saying. Because so many of you feel this pressure, right, in, in, a, in a different setting. Like when it comes to sexuality, there's so many people, I'm sure, if you're LGBTQ, if, if there's so many people in your life, I'm sure, that have told you that it would be so much easier if you just didn't. Right? It would be so much easier for everybody around If you would just not. And in your younger years, you may have thought, yeah, maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe I am taking up too much space by doing this, by being this, by, by, by allowing myself to be how I am. And those of you who have done that have also paid a price for it because you realize that when you sublimate something like that, be it because you love your family or your culture or safety, it could be anything. You know, when it comes to LGBTQ, all of a sudden you're talking life and death because people are fucking monsters. You may have realized and and, and you may have gone through this yourself where you suppress or sublimate the thing and then it comes out in the most bizarre ways. It can come out and manifest itself as depression. It can manifest itself as so many different illnesses. Physically, your body goes to shit because you are denying who you are and you're doing it so someone else will be happy. Now, so many of you are thinking, man, you're just dancing around it. Just say what it is. Honestly? It's all of it. It's all of it. It's not one thing. Drink something. It's all of it. It's every instance in the past 43 years (laughs) where someone has asked me to smile through it. a long time ago I've never told anybody this a long time ago 
my dad's car broke down right outside of the entrance to a bridge. There was a lot of traffic. The car wouldn't move. He's a very proud man. He was really stressed. The situation was awful. I was four or five. My dad took me to a relative slash friend's uncle auntie's house where I sat and waited while he sorted out this extremely stressful, expensive thing. I have so little memories from my childhood, but this one is so clear. I remember just sitting in the apartment and I was so uncomfortable. I was so stressed out. I was so afraid. I was so hungry. And all I wanted to do was go home. Now, I suppose it would have just taken someone to come and sit down for a second and be like, hey, kid, don't worry. These things happen. Everything is all right. We're going to call a tow truck and get this taken care of. How about we eat something? How about we take a walk? How about we go outside? Instead, I was surrounded by adults that were all freaking out. And to be honest, I think they forgot I was there. (laughs) And I remember sitting there for hours, still, completely still, like a cold-blooded animal. Because I was so uncomfortable and I was so upset and I was so stressed I just couldn't move. And nobody noticed. And I sat there. And I could feel myself building up a resistance to my own needs. It was like I sat there and trained myself. To understand that whatever was going on with me didn't fucking matter. And the only thing that mattered was what the adults were doing. Now, as a parent myself, of course I've made mistakes. Everybody has made mistakes. But one of the things that I have been very very clear on is that if Baba is feeling some shit, we're just going to take a second. We're going to calm down. We're going to take a second. We're going to talk. We're going to address it. We're going to figure some shit out. And now what I realize is that that's what I have to do with myself as an adult. I have to Take those moments 
where I feel like I'm sitting on my auntie's bed. It was also really cold. And because I thought I was just going to be in the car, I wasn't dressed appropriately. Like I didn't have a coat. So it was like no needs being met. Not like shelter, hunger, like nothing, nothing, nothing. And it's not like I could have started crying or screaming. First of all, never, you know, never. But also it wouldn't have helped. It's not like if I had cried or screamed, some adult would have ran over and been like, oh my God, are you okay? It would have literally just been like, shut the fuck up. There's already so much going on and now you want to do this? Now you want to add to this shit? Like, please give me a fucking break. Not that my dad would ever do that because I would never make an issue because that's what I was raised to do is not make a fucking issue. And the more I have felt pressured in my life to not make things an issue recently, the less I started potting. Because potting for me is like making those things a fucking issue that should have always been a fucking issue, but I didn't do it. And that's what she jarred in me when I was standing there instead of in front of that stupid Best Buy thing and she came up to me. That's what she shook up in my head. When she said that shit, like, yo, when you were talking about Kendall Kylie, what what I heard, that's what she said. But what I heard was, yo, you be making it, you be talking about shit. That's an issue that people don't want to talk about. That's an issue. And that shit is bomb. But look. Look how your childhood programming can still affect you so deeply, especially if if the programming is still happening actively, you're still being programmed, right? Look how deeply it affects you, that you can move yourself away from doing things that you truly love to do. Because there's no way for you to do that and be a fucking sellout at the same time. I mean, listen. I love making the videos. I love you guys. I love the horoscope. I love the Zaw walks. But if there is something that I do in my life that's for me, that I am the most proud of, it's this. For me to not have potted for as long as I did. I know there's some of you who know me, know me. And I don't mean you know me like you know me personally, but you get me. I know there's a lot of you out there that have been like, yo, she's not potting. Like something is wrong. Many of you have reached out to me and been like, yo, you're right. Because you intuitively understand like, no, this is the thing that you love to do the most. Like out of all the things you do, this is you. This is your shit. Why aren't you fucking doing it? What's going on? Why are you only addressing things that are like all the way out here? Why aren't you addressing things that are close to us, close to you? Because I didn't know how to fucking come on here and be like, yo. I'm being put under that same fucking pressure that I was being put under as a kid. And that shit is making me freeze. So many times in my life, that scene will just flash in my head. Of sitting there completely stressed. And then I remember at one point my dad was like, I'm going to have to wait here for the car, for the tow truck. I'm going to have to wait here 
I'm going to have your uncle drive you home. And the dude was a fucking creep. And I remember being like, no, I'll just wait here. I'll just wait with you. Like, I'm not moving. I'm not going anywhere with this guy. And the extent to which this grin and bear it has happened with me is extensive. Like, the, the extent of it is, is frightening. I had, like, 25 babysitters before the time I was five, right? They were literally just like, oh, you're a babysitter? Here, take her. So I've been through some rough shit. But it all has this underlying theme of grin and bear it. And then you become an adult and you don't have to grin and bear it anymore. And you can speak the fucking truth and you can say what the fuck you want. And there's a lot of people out there who have been through the same shit you've been through. And they hear you fucking saying it how it is. And they're like, yeah, bitch. Yes, I needed that. I needed you to say it how it is. So I can fucking say it how it is. So I know that I'm not the person that's fucking crazy here. And that at least there's one more person out there that feels the way I do. That's what I got from her Kendall and Kylie comment. Like, bitch, we be thinking the same shit. Thank, thank you for saying it. And I don't know. I don't know if I would have potted again. <laughs> I don't know. <clears throat> Just like I don't know why the fuck I was standing in front of that Best Buy machine. I don't know. But, like, I got to give it to God, man. God always be coming through, like, in those moments where I'm like, yo. Like, this hurts. Like, this shit is not okay. Like, I need the people in my life that love me to acknowledge that, like, sometimes y'all be asking for too much. Like, it's one thing for you to ask and ask and ask. But when you start asking me to push the lines of what makes me me, you're taking me back to being fucking five years old. With a fucking, you know, with a car that won't start. You're robbing me of my agency. And if I don't have agency, what the fuck am I supposed to come on here and say? But? When she said, and, and I'm not even sure if any of this resonates. I'm not sure if any of you out there will listen to this and be like, what the fuck is she talking about? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But I, what I do know, <laughs> what I do know is that I have silenced myself for months and months and months because I didn't want this thing that I have sitting in me to slip out. And then when she said that, I was like, yo, what the fuck am I doing, fam? This is the thing I love to do the most. And it requires such a brutal version of honesty from you. It requires so much guts. And when I felt like a fucking sellout, even though my parents were like, no, you're being the bigger person. When I felt like a fucking sellout, I didn't have the fucking guts to face you. Because you could hear it in my fucking voice. If I'm not being genuine with you, you can hear it in my fucking voice. My voice loses all its inflection. It's very like, hi. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Everything is just in this tone. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. Okay, bye. Bitch, I don't like you. <laughs> I don't care. Everything you just said to me, I didn't even hear you. I don't give a fuck. Right? How am I supposed to come on here and be honest 
when I feel like a fucking sellout, when I feel like I'm not being true to myself. But if I'm true to myself, oh, no. Umber, you're just making problems. Umber, you're just making fucking problems. Because God forbid anyone who did some shit to you actually own up to their shit, apologize to you properly, tell the fucking truth, Instead of just, let's just glaze over all of this and everything is fine now because Umber's a G and she's just going to deal with it. No. No, I'm not five and the car is not broken. And there isn't going to be a five hour wait where I sit as still as a fucking lizard and nobody sees me. Nobody asks about me. Nobody calls to ask about me. There's no mother calling to see if I've eaten or that I wasn't wearing a coat when I left home. There's no dad sitting down next to me and saying, I'm sorry you saw me in such a stressed out state. Everything is fine. But you know what's funny? Today, I got back to Denmark. And I've just been so tired. It's really hard for me to be myself when I'm not allowed to be myself. I've just been so tired. I've been so drained. I hate going against my principles. It just robs me of all my energy. And I'm sure there are people like my mom who think that's just my stubbornness talking. But I've always thought that her kumbaya routine actually belies a lack of discipline when it comes to morality i'm not i'm not too keen on people who will just pass over principle just so people can all get along i'm not the light and breezy bitch but i've been so tired right so i get here so excited see baba just you know I don't know, make salads and put flowers in vases. I don't know, you know, work, love to work, love to make content, love to hang out with you guys. Like, I'm just excited. I'm back in Denmark. Let's go. And there was something in me that said, like, you know, you just got off an eight hour flight. Don't drive for four hours right now. That's a mistake. But, you know, there's that immigrant parenting. Doesn't fucking matter how you fucking feel. It's just time to get this shit done. So I was gonna, you know, get this shit done. And I walked up to the car and I realized, holy shit. I don't have the key. 
I have a car. I have all my stuff. I know exactly where I want to go. I know exactly how long it'll take to get there. I've already made plans for what happens when I get there. But I don't have a fucking key. All the horsepower in the world, all the technology. Just can't get in. Just can't start it. (laughs) A car that won't start. (laughs) So, I called the rental agency. And I'm like, yo, I forgot my key. My bad. Like, could you get me another one? Like, I'll come over right now. You're in the airport. Like, let's do this. The guy's like, nah. You rented this car like four hours away. They have the key. You're going to have to rent a car from us, drive four hours, pick up the key, drive back four hours, drop off this car, pick up your car, and then drive back four hours. So that's 12 hours if you're keeping count. After the eight-hour flight. And you know what I said? I said, okay, great. No problem. Let's do it. And then I went outside. (laughs) And it started raining. And even though it was really warm in New York, and it seems like summer is actually approaching... I got off the fucking plane in Denmark and it was fucking freezing, gray, overcast, fucking gross. And then I asked the rental car, okay, well, um, let me come rent this new car. No problem. How far are you from the terminal that I'm at? And he said, oh, it's way too far to walk. You're going to have to take a bus. Okay, good. So then I had to wait in the rain for a long time (laughs) for the bus. And while I was on the bus, a little part of me said, You know, I'm really tired. And then another part of me said, Yeah, but you're Baba's mom and you said that you'd be there today. So you need to get a fucking move on and get this shit done. Because this is no way to be. Yeah, that's right. But somewhere in there, somewhere between those two twins, was the only voice in my head, which is the voice I talk to God with. If you've heard me say over and over again at satsangs and here and there, my head is empty, that's true. Except when I talk to God, then it's not. Then, then I have a voice in my head. Just for a moment, imperceptible. Somewhere in there between these two. Points, extreme opposite points on the scale. 
somewhere in between the two was this little voice. Like, yo, God, can you help me? Because, essentially, I'm alone out here. And this shit is a little too much for me. Now on the surface, it may not seem like a big problem. But after you've been on an eight-hour flight where you haven't eaten anything because the food's fucking disgusting. And you've got a head full of uh, goblets of fire. Harry Potter Goblet of Fire. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with that movie? Who directed that shit? The story's all over the fucking place. It's awful. Um, but I didn't know Robert Pattinson looked so good with blush on. He's so cute. It was a lot, right? It was a lot. So I had that moment on the bus of like, yo, I need a little help. And then I, you know, got back to it. So I go into the rental car place and as always, hi, how are you? I'm so sorry. And the guy said, hey, actually, I talked to the guys and they're going to send the key and it'll be here tomorrow. So if you just spend the night in Copenhagen, we'll have the key for you tomorrow and you'll be all set. And I did something that I never do. I imposed on him. Because I could feel myself emotionally starting to crumble a little bit. So tired. So I said to him in my most controlled voice, Would you mind uh, calling me a cab? And he said, oh, yes, well, there's a line of taxis that waits, you know, um, by the terminal. I said, yes, I know that. But would you mind calling me a cab anyway? And I think it was the way I said it. I think he saw it. And he was like, yeah, of course. Go sit down. I'll call you a cab. And then I went back over and I said, I'm sorry. (laughs) I really don't want to bother you. But could you call the people where the key is going to be tomorrow morning and just make sure that they know exactly what's up so when I get there, there's no sort of an issue. And he said, yeah, of course, I would love to do that. It's no problem at all. So I get in the car. The cabbie is a Muslim guy. And he reeks of alcohol. The entire car smelled like a hangover. You know when someone's had so much to drink that you can smell it in their skin? So the whole ride to the hotel, I'm just like, dear God, <laughs> sorry I was needy a second ago, but I don't want to die. <laughs> Not like this. I get to the hotel. They give me the wrong room. That's okay. I just call and ask for a new one. No 
problem. It's all good. Roll with the punches, man. Get into the right room. Haven't eaten in 18 hours just about at this point. Let's have some food. Order the food. Wait and wait and wait. I watched an Iranian horror film called The Night. I watched a movie with Richard Gere and Laura Linney called The Dinner. I watched a movie with Megan Fox called Rogue. And somewhere in there, I realized around the three and a half hour mark that my food never arrived. When I inquired about the food, they told me my order was canceled. So I ordered again. Two hours later, the food they told me would be here in 25 minutes still hadn't arrived. So now I've got this car that won't start. I'm starving. I'm cold. And it just all hit me, you know? So I do something, I did something that I almost never do. I called someone out of the blue. Well, not out of the blue. It's never out of the blue when it's Carolina, but I didn't even call her. I just texted her and asked her if she was around. By the way, if you ever get a text from me that says, are you around or you around question mark, something is very wrong. And she called me right away. And I just saw her face, so happy, so smiling. And I just started crying. And of course, Carolina being Carolina, she was like, what is it? What happened? What's wrong? I told her, it's nothing. You know, I forgot the key and the food never came. And I haven't eaten all day and... I told Bob I'd be there today and and you know my mom asked me to do this thing and it's just making me so angry and she said yeah but we're kids of immigrant parents that's all they know Your feelings, your comfort, this is all stuff, it's not even secondary. It's so far down the list that some of us don't even know it's there. Some of us don't even know what we need because nobody ever explored that with us. Nobody ever talked to us about what we needed or how we felt. So we still don't have the words. If the car won't start and the food doesn't show up, there's no processing happening there. There's just tears. 
And then Carolina hit on something really important. Well, what I said to her was, I said, she said, why are you crying? I said, well, the thing is my mom called like five minutes ago. And it hurts me when my mom can see that something is wrong, but I won't tell her. It hurts me. It hurts me to see her like that. But at the same time, you know what hurts more? That I can't tell her. When she called me, all I wanted to do was be somebody's child. You know, mom, I forgot the fucking key. This sucks. I want to see my kid. Now I'm stuck here for another day. The stupid food, the stupid company didn't come. I watched a movie about some fucked up night in a hotel, a haunted hotel. Why the fuck did I do that? But instead, which when you, when you say them like that, it's nothing. It's not a big deal. None of these things are big deals. But when she was like, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm good. It hurt me so bad. Because in that moment, what I really needed was to be able to share these small hiccups. And have my mom say, that's okay, kid. I'll be all right. You know who did do that, though? My son. <laughs> I called him as soon as I figured out what happened. I called him from the car rental place. I was like, yo, Baba, I forgot the key. It's going to be one more day. I'm so sorry. And do you know what this kid did? He said, hey, that's okay. Things happen. Don't worry, mommy. It's fine. I said, no, Baba, are you sure it's fine? Because I don't want to let you down. I don't want to disappoint you. He said, no, you're not disappointing me because you forgot a key. Mommy, <laughs> that's just you making a mistake. It's probably not even a mistake you made. It probably fell somewhere. It's not a big deal. So you'll be here tomorrow. Okay. So when I told Carolina this, Carolina goes, yeah. Yeah, because you can't tell immigrant parents stuff like that. Yo, you think I could tell my fucking dad that I forgot the key to the fucking rental car? You think I could tell my fucking dad that that fucking car has been standing in airport parking for a week and a half? You think I could tell him that they got to drive the key over from a different fucking province on a different fucking island so I can get the fuck out of here? Are you fucking kidding me? Do you know how fucking long that lecture would have lasted? Do you know how long I would have to hear about it? 
Because the supposition is, in a household where your parents work themselves to the fucking bone, you pa- your parents work themselves to death, the supposition is that your perfection is the reward for their hard work. So you can't be anything but perfect. And perfect people don't forget their fucking car key. Mind you, I didn't even fucking forget it. My fucking bag fell over in my closet. I saw that it fell over. It was dark. Something told me to turn on the fucking light before I put everything back in my bag. But no, any fucking time in my life that I have not listened to that small voice, some shit goes left. I didn't. It's, I know where the fucking car key is. It's sitting on the fucking floor of my closet with my shoes. I know where it is. But how interesting. I didn't even realize it myself. Where we started in the story. And where we are now. How interesting. That it was the same exact scenarios. The same exact scenario. A car that won't start. Right? cold, hungry, and because the food didn't show up, your needs are not being met. And I was right back there. And when she said that about immigrant parents, it just all came together for me. And then I realized, I was like, Carolina, you're really the only person that I could talk to about shit like this. And she was like, yeah, well, you're the only person I can talk to, too. Like, my dad would have lectured me, too, if I did some shit like that. Because in the immigrant mind, your allowance to stay in this foreign country is predicated on your perfection. You can't be a normal human being that makes mistakes or has flaws or gets tired. Immigrants aren't awarded those luxuries. They never get tired. They never fuck up. They always do the right thing. They always make the smart move. They always put their personal feelings aside. They put their needs aside. And they teach you how to do the same thing. And anytime you're not perfect, they get more scared than you because, you know, If we get found out for being human, we might not be welcome here anymore. So the only choice you have is to be superhuman until one day a bunch of triggers takes you back to being five. And the only person you can talk to about your humanity is your Ecuadorian best friend. whose parents have also worked themselves to the boat. Now, I know that I am extremely lucky to have that, to have that friend, to have that outlet. 
Because the moment before I texted her, I realized how many people must feel exactly the way I feel and they don't have a person to call that they can just vent their stupid mistakes to. And that person can say, yo, it's all right. It's okay. You're all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You fucked up. So what? It's fine. It's no big deal. And that brought me back. You see all the ring composition here? And that brought me back to the girl in the airport. (laughs) I realized in this moment of vulnerability where I was five again, I realized that I grew up to be a person that you can fall back on, that you can listen to, that you can relate to, that will tell you that whatever you're doing right now, it's okay. Just because you fucked up doesn't mean you're a fuck up. Just because you failed at something doesn't mean you're a fucking failure. Just because somebody else doesn't like the way you are doesn't make you a horrible person. It just means that you can't be controlled. I realized that that solace in that moment that I needed so much. And and what was it? It was literally just Carolina being like, it's going to be fine. Don't worry. Don't worry. But she's so smart, you know, she went deeper. She was like, what's this really about? What's bothering you? And I was like, yo, my mom's making me do something I don't want to do. And you know what she said? She said, yeah, but you're going to have to do it. Because if you don't do it, you're going to be the bad guy. And I say, yeah, but that's what's so fucked up because I was never the fucking bad guy in this situation. How the fuck am I the bad guy? Because I'm the only person sticking to their fucking ideals. How am I the bad guy? She said, I know. It's a trap. But you have to do it. And sometimes that's what it means. (laughs) And yeah, will I do what my mother asks me to do within reason? Yeah, sure. If it'll make her happy, sure. But I think today was so important for me. I think that being able to recognize when you are being pushed to the utmost limit of what you have been taught to bear is like a, it's a wake-up call. It's a wake-up call. I know I didn't just feel the way I felt because I forgot my fucking key. The car wouldn't start. I know it's not just because this fucking people messed up my fucking delivery. I know that these are both expressions of somewhere that this simulation was trying to take me. So I would be sitting and not moving for four hours again, starving and freezing 
and thinking to myself, what can I do? Can't do anything. And boom. Then I remembered. Yeah, I can do something. I can do the thing that I love to do most, which is share my shit with other people. When I realize something, I like to share it with people so then they can maybe realize it and then maybe we can all feel better. Ha ha ha. Yeah, there is something I can do. There is something that I'm actually very good at doing. And it's fucking just telling it how it is and saying whatever the fuck is going on. And for the past few months, for whatever reason, this reason, that reason, this person's feelings, that person's privacy, ah, 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 bullshit. I haven't been saying things the way that I fucking want to say them. Because for a little while, I got coaxed back into that comfortable, uh, oh, we'll just put all this weight on you because you're just, you know, you're so strong. Right? There's something very seductive of being treated superhuman. There, it does have its uh, strange perks. Right? It can suck you in. It's very seductive. Ooh, so much can be expected of me. Ooh, look how much I can deliver. Until that small child in you says, why are you doing this? It's one thing to be sitting on that bed at five years old when every single thing is outside of your control. It's another thing to be 43 and sitting in a bed and have everything be in your control and still feel just as paralyzed. I remembered that the difference between then and now is agency. I remembered that part of what inspires you in those moments where you feel like there's too much being asked of you is that I inspire agency within you. And that made me come back. And that made me want to share. And that made me feel better. And it makes all of it mean something so it's not just trauma for trauma's sake you know hmm well there it is the smashing return to the pod Now that I've gotten this off my chest, I'm sure we can get back into the groove of things of me just telling you what I think and how I feel. Thank you for listening, commiserating, feeling, praying. Thank you for being another soul out there in this 
vast, immeasurable expanse that hears me and gets me. So next time you have one of those moments and you don't have a Carolina to call, listen back. Listen carefully. Remember that we're friends and we share so much more than you probably realize and that we have found each other again. And I love you for it. Shout out to the girl in the airport, man. Thank you for bringing me back. I don't think anyone else could have done it. (laughs) I love you. All of you. So much. And now I'm going to buy a pack of cigarettes, yo. I'm going to go fucking smoke a cigarette. Hey! <laughs> Don't smoke, it's horrible. I love you, love you. It's your girl, DJ Nark. I'll see you next week. <laughs>